I V M. Hello and welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. I am Ashton Doctor, your Habit Coach, and today we're going to be deep diving into understanding the concepts and the habits of leadership. Now, you know, you might be thinking, leadership. What does that have to do with me? But we don't realize that we are constantly being given opportunities to lead. Whether we are in a company, whether we have our own business, whether we are at home, whether we are amongst friends, we always have that opportunity to understand and at least practice our leadership skills. So today we have Raj Sajnani, and we're going to deep dive into this aspect of leadership. So, Raj, welcome to the Habit Coach Podcast. Thank you so much. I am honored to be here. I guess I need to take a step back and say we are talking about leadership. But having said that, I need to put a disclaimer: nobody is perfect. Everyone makes mistakes, and if you don't make mistakes, you're not going to be a good leader. So that's definitely there. I love it. And just to build on what you said about, you know, why is this for me? I'm not a corporate leader, you know, and I want to start off with an analogy before I actually start introducing myself. You know, we talk about leadership as a quality rather than as a title. I think that's one of the key things to remember. People think of leaders as being a, a position. It's not. The easiest ways to look at this is when you are in a playground and you see a bunch of kids running around playing. Have you noticed that all of a sudden they all seem to follow one particular kid and he says let's go left and they'll go left oh let's go right and they, and we're going like who made you the boss you know right. like why that is what leadership is it's getting willing cooperation from people hmm. not they're not following you because they have to they're following you because they want to and i think that's the key differentiator lovely Building on that, my name is Raju or Raj. Official passport name is Raj, but I live in a place called Hong Kong. And in Hong Kong, the Cantonese is the common spoken language. Now it's also going to be Mandarin because of China. But English is not the first language. Therefore, it's not always the best. And when I was when I came here when I was four years old, I found that.、Um, They had a difficulty pronouncing names that had no ending syllables. So Raj was like impossible for them to pronounce. So I added a U at the back and I said Raju. So they went, <laughs> Oh Raju, yeah. Now they, then they remember my name. Now it computes. Yeah, now it does because for them Raj was too abrupt. Now、right. interestingly, in Singapore they have Chinese as well, but. In Singapore, they love the name Raj. They rather not call Raju; they rather go Raj. In Hong Kong, I can't. It has to be Raju. So, whether your followers call me Raj, Raju, whatever, it works. Lovely. I'm obviously Indian, born in India, born in Lucknow. Came to Hong Kong when I was four years old. No choice of my own because I was carried to Hong Kong by my parents, so <laughs> didn't have much of a choice there. They took the leadership role、uh, very much. I, and <laughs> no, in fact, I would say they took manager role, dictatorship. Yeah, they didn't get my willing cooperation. They just <laughs> made me follow. I did go back to study my high school in a boarding school in Masuri, Masuri Deradun. So、mm -hmm. that was fun. I was in Saint George's College over there. But in between that, okay, my studies over. I I started working for the Hilton Hotel, and working for the Hilton Hotel, I moved from being a receptionist to a management trainee, which means I got to train in every different department. 
which was so much fun. You know, without having to do a hospitality university or a course, I actually got hands-on uh, training within the organization. Having worked with Hilton for, as a management trainee, I then got posted as sales administrator, sales executive, and then finally moved down to front office, down as in physically down to the main lobby, which was the uh, duty manager in the lobby. But from there, I wanted to continue my hospitality industry kind of uh, career because I really loved it. And the key things about loving it was you get to meet a lot of people, all kinds of people. And people fascinate me. They confuse the hell out of me, but they fascinate me. All right. So I was approached by one of our long-staying guests in the hotel. I mean, this guy had, was QC barrister, and he apparently knew the managing director of a training organization. And he had given that person my name and said, you're looking for good people. Talk to Raju. He's bright. He learns. He has the right attitude, et cetera, et cetera. So I was approached by them. And so basically my luck was that I got involved in the uh, training company. This was a company called Xerox Learning Systems, which was quite well known, very big. And I did about five years with them. From five years with them, I got poached by Dale Carnegie which you might be familiar with, uh, how to win friends and influence people. Absolutely. I worked with them for five years. After that, Dale Carnegie works on a franchise, like a sponsorship franchise business. So in Hong Kong, the owner or the franchise owner was called Patrick Connor. Mm -hmm. And Patrick said, uh, we are retiring. So Dale Carnegie in Hong Kong will close for a few months until a new person takes over. So I said, okay, no problem. So what do we do? We just wait around for them. He said, no, are you dumb? Go and open your own company. Do it on your own. You know the whole business already. Why do you want to still work for someone? So I thought, wow, this is my boss telling me <laughs> to go and start my own business. You know. So I said, fantastic. So I went out, ventured out. And for the last 22 years, I've been running my own company, which is called EHP which is Enhancing Human Potential. Lovely. We don't want to title it by any particular type of program because we work with people to enhance their potential, be it in a training session, be it on a one-on-one -on -one coaching session, whatever the case might be, whatever the need is. So I've been involved in training overall for 32 years and basically loving every minute of it. Isn't it a fascinating place to just meet? You get to meet so many interesting people. It's your passion, the confusing yeah. people that you meet. Exactly. You know, the interesting thing was in Hilton, I was already very satisfied because I was meeting people. The training part took a step further. You're not just meeting people, but you're actually helping people grow. And I thought, wow, that is amazing. And when you see people grow, you know, I, I've had incidents over the last 30 years where I see someone in the street and they walk up to me and they say, you are Raju, yeah? I remember <laughs> you. I attended your program 14 years ago. And I'm going like, 14 <laughs> years ago, my God. He attended a sales program. He is now a sales director. And he said, I want to talk to you. I want to train my bunch of uh, salespeople. So the sense of satisfaction that comes from that is amazing. Unbelievable. <laughs> so when you were doing the Dale Carnegie course, 
what were the interesting things what are the aha moments that you had through that course because what was it that you were learning at that point of time in dale carnegie what we found was that everything is i mean i know a lot of these things that i'm going to tell you today or share with you today they're all clichés having said that clichés work they actually work uh, we've had people who've attended the program and have had no change which is not surprising because they went out of the room and did not apply it so if you don't apply what you learn obviously there's no change we've seen extreme cases we've had i'll give you one simple example we had a couple that was on the verge of divorce all right they were like at each other's throats all the time they both attended the dale carnegie course thinking okay psychology psychologists don't work this one doesn't work let's just final straw let's try this Dale Carnegie is a 12 week course, right? 12 weeks meaning you attend 12 sessions about 3 and 1/2 hours once a week and you have in between time for you to go and apply the skills. How to communicate well, you know, how to be uh, more confident, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. At the end of the 12 week, these two people were far from being trying to get divorced anymore. They were willing to make it work. Lovely. And we thought, wow, that is a miracle in itself. and again for the trainers it is so satisfying i can imagine right you've just in in front of you seen a life change and the potential of that life come alive so what were some of the things in the course that you know struck out to you as probably things that our listeners can take home and probably implement something that you know they can make a habit either in communication or different aspects of life one of the one of the key learning points that i've come to understand over the years and tried to put it into practice myself and i keep repeating it even though this was like 30 years ago most people listen to respond you know they're listening to someone and they're kind of waiting for the right moment so that i can oh i i have an answer to that we keep telling people don't listen to respond listen to understand don't formulate your head on what i'm going to answer just listen to find out where is this person coming from why is he saying so if you genuinely try to understand them you find that a lot of solutions are obvious solutions you don't need to think about complicated solutions to sort it out so listen to understand that is point number 1 okay lovely second secondly uh, one of the other things is we don't package our words well we say things because this is how i feel we don't we forget to realize i'm like this he is not so if he is not like that he or she right i mean nowadays you have to be careful with the he and she is but <laughs> whoever is the person speaking to you you have to understand they're not you so just because it makes sense to you it doesn't mean it's going to make sense to them and yet we get irritated because like what's wrong with you why don't you understand and like well it's a different person now in my classes i use another analogy for that all right because we have a lot of managers supervisors and i asked them i said when your new subordinates people who've just joined right how many chances do you give them for making a mistake you know if they make a mistake how many chances they said same mistake i said yeah same mistake and they said two there will be some that will be a little nicer and say three i said what about after that said, oh blast the hell out of them i said okay let's forget the work scenario let's take you home you have a toddler who is crawling when they are crawling they try to stand up 
they fall. How many times do they fall? Oh, hundreds of times. I said, isn't that the same mistake? Yes. Why didn't you blast him after two times? And then the answer is hilarious. It's like, but he's a baby. I said, exactly. Why can't you use the same thought with your staff? He's new. Why do you have to get irritated? No, no, but he's an adult. We're like, okay, so it's our minds that give us the problems. It's not the other person, it's us. That's what it is, you know, communicating. We communicate from our angles, never remembering that their angle could be totally different. So I was having a very interesting conversation with my dad the other day, right? He was saying, Ashton, why do you say that I need to say things that, you know, make sense to you? I'm going to say things the way I'm going to say things. And if you don't want to take it your way, then it's up to you. So I'm like, but dad, you realize that communication is not about just that, right? I have to receive what it is that you want to say. So how do you change a mindset of somebody who's like, no, but like, why do I need to trip up over what I want to say? Because then I I feel I'm walking on eggshells every time I'm talking to you. I usually pose the question, for example, let's use your father in this case. And I'll say, as a dad, what is your key objective for this conversation? Do you want Ashton to accept your idea or reject it? If you want it to be accepted, you have to adapt and adopt. If you continue to use your way, you know what the answer is. It's still going to be this. So aren't you wasting your own time and frustrating yourself by saying the same thing five times, 10 times, but Ashton still hasn't listened to it? So it's all about what do you want to gain from this conversation? Now, if Ashton approached me, that's a different story. Right. Because being the father, you asked me, I'm telling you what you should do, but it's not. You're trying to change him. So in order to change that person, we need to adapt. The one thing about change is whenever we try to change people, it takes a long time and a lot of effort and a lot of tears. So the easier way, why are you trying to change that? Just adopt, adapt it slightly so that you can communicate and it makes sense to the other person. That's good enough. Interesting. Continuing from where dad was talking, he was saying that, you know, Ashton, it feels like I have to do verbal jujitsu, right? I have to think how he's going to think about it. Then I have to plan my, it's like, is it a chess game that we are doing when we talk and communicate? And is this going to become easier or is it, or is it always going to be like that? It's going to be harder from, Mm -hmm. again, uh, there are many schools of thoughts Psychologists will tell you many different things. There are many, many well-read people who will tell you many different things. All I'm sharing with you today is my way of thinking. And this is what I usually share with my participants. Absolutely. The world we lived in in the past, and I'll use my dad as an example. My dad never even had to tell me what to do. All he had to do was look in my direction and stare. And I was like, uh, I'll go and do my homework now. <laughs> he didn't have to say anything. That was, that was the, the way it worked in the olden days. Today is different. Everything around us has changed. I mean, we all know we're talking about Generation X, Generation Y. I mean, all these things are because their thinking process is very different from ours. And they will challenge everything just for the sake of challenging. Because you can't just tell me to do it. You need to tell me why. Correct. In our days, how many times did you ask your dad why? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So we, what? You dead ask why? (laughs) Like, okay, no, 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 I'll do it. (laughs) It's a different world we live in and everything around us is changing. So I think being sensitive to what's going on around us 
uh, also being sensitive to the fact that I really want this thing to happen. So it's in your best interest to adapt slightly. To be, I'm not telling you to change your thoughts. Just adapt your packaging of the words slightly so that it goes over well. That's all. Very interesting. So communication is such an important aspect of this, right? Listening to what the other person is saying without trying to give a response and understanding that you're talking for the other person. So knowing how the whatever you say is going to be received is critical. Yeah. So communication is one aspect of this. What are some of the others that we can, you know, like little sprinkle on? Trust is one big factor. Oh, that's a will, huge one. Yeah. Trust is one big thing, and we usually break it down into a few different subcomponents. One is credibility, one is capability, one is likability. I, I won't go into details of all three, but let's just talk about the simple one, likability. If people don't like you, they won't trust you. They may follow what you have, you're telling them to do because you're my boss. I'll do it, but it's half-hearted, no passion. I'll just do it for the sake of completing a task, and that's it. Finish. End of story. It's not about that. You want them to, you want, you want commitment from them. You don't want compliance. So likability is important. So let me ask you this, Ashton, what are you doing to come across as likable? And that's my question to all the leaders that are attending my program. I go, what are you doing to make it likable? Oh, we buy them lunch. I said, but you can't buy them lunch every day. I mean, yeah, lunch is a great thing. It's a fantastic idea. You can't do it seven days a week. You have to think of something more than that. It's not, and I don't mean more in terms of monetary value. Uh, another one is raising salary. No, that's not an answer because raising a salary only means they'll be motivated for a short period of time. All right. And then they'll find, oh, yebi, it's not enough. <laughs> Even this is not enough. I need more. How many times can you do it? So you need to think a lot longer. One example or one, again, analogy example that you could use is, and I'll tell you a mistake that I made with my daughter when, when she was growing up, all right? The phone rang in the house and before she could pick up the phone, I told her, I said, oh, by the way, Natasha, Natasha, if it is so-and-so, tell him I'm not home. Okay. And she said, okay, Papa, it was, the phone was for her. So fine. Everything. Okay. So there I went back and I thought about it later because after a few days, I heard her saying the same thing to the maid, to our domestic helper. And she said, Oh, Maria, Maria, if it's uh, Tanya, tell her I'm not home. And I, I said, that's not right, Natasha. Tanya is your friend. Why would you do that? She said, but you did it. And I thought, Oh my God, how can I tell her not to do something when she's seen me and she's learning from watching it? People usually learn a lot more from what they see rather than what they hear. You can tell them everything, but if you're doing the opposite thing, they're going to follow the opposite thing. You know, we tell them don't get angry and you are getting angry all the time. It doesn't help. I remember so, someone telling me, Ashton, you know, my uncle or my, my father used to tell me, don't you dare start drinking. And what did he have in his hand? He had a glass of scotch which was probably his fourth <laughs> glass of scotch for that evening. And he was looking at me and saying, don't you dare start drinking. Said, obviously, I, I will start drinking. He's doing it. Obviously, I'm going to. Exactly. And that is exactly. exactly where it comes from. Exactly. And that's why I remember I mentioned to you that I have written a book on dealing with people. That's Absolutely. exactly why. Yeah, the P factor. Uh, the reason I wrote that was because people, I truly, truly believe. Again, it's my thoughts. I truly believe is the most complicated subject on earth. Rocket science, you can learn. People, 
man, you could spend a lifetime and still feel, I still don't know enough about that. So I broke it down into those various components, you know, P stands. People have different perceptions. So just because you see something as nice doesn't mean I see it as nice. And therefore, that itself can create a conflict in terms of communication. You know, so many, many different factors are there. And as a leader, as a leader, we need to understand that the people we have, if they were as smart as you, they would be in your position. They're not, you know, so, and I keep telling them that. I said, you want them to be as smart as you. Give them that post and then you see how smart they become. But they won't, you know, so it's interesting. You know, it's very, it's fascinating. Many people talk about trust and they say that, you know, once you've lost my trust, you will never get it back. Do those things actually exist? Not true. Uh, the only only difference, you know, people also talk about things like first perception, uh, first impression, last impression, all that. Uh, think about all the Hindi movies, Bollywood movies. They all die in boy, the end. Boy meets girl. Hmm. They hate each other's guts. First impression <laughs> is horrible, right? At the end, they can't live without each other. They're willing to die for each other. I'm going like, how the hell did that happen? It's simple. First impressions, yes, they count strong. You can change it, but you have to work extremely hard to make it work. That's why people usually suggest, why not try and make a good first impression so you don't make it so hectic and hard for yourself? That's all. All right. So it can be uh, trust lost can be rebuilt, but imagine the amount of time, effort you have to put in. You know, so interesting when you listen to these principles and understand them, and when you try to put them into practice, there are two thoughts that come up. One is that, hey, am I being fake? Am I actually this person? So am I manufacturing this experience for a particular Mm. outcome? And am I losing my individuality? Am I being fake to myself? Right? Right. Is this a bridge? Is this a fine line? How do you perceive these two things? I usually tell people to look in your mirror and ask yourself the question, am I sleeping better at night because I went through this process of helping this person or not? Have I done enough to help this person? If you can sleep well thinking I did everything I could to help this person, then you're fine. But if you feel, you know, then obviously there's regret and you don't want to live with that. Right. Uh, being as far as being fake, go back to the bottom line. Uh, why are you doing it? Right. And that's that is the key. You know, if you're doing it for the right reasons, it's not fake because it comes from passion. You really want to help this person or you want this person to change for whatever reason it might be. So it's the passion and the sincerity with which you're doing it. I love that. It's the intention, like you said, the intention behind that action, right? If even if I'm manufacturing it, but I mean, but the intention is good in a sense. It still exactly. makes it makes a difference. Yeah, I mean, think about it. For all the married couples out there, this is a question for the husbands. How many times have you lied to your wife? But when I say lied, I'm talking about white lies. She just gave birth, and she asked you, "Do I still look fat now?" What does the husband know? No, no, you look fine. You look, you know, come on. Are you serious? You can be, but that honesty is not honesty. You're actually going to hurt the other person. So sometimes the white lie, the, the intention behind it is good. You're not lying to cheat them, but you're lying to support and encourage them. Right? So white lies, that's what it's all about. We're going to take a quick break. 
See you on the other side. Welcome back. All right, let's jump into the conversation. Interesting. So you could have a white lie, but what is the orientation of it? Or yes. what is the end result that you're actually aiming for with this? I'm, I'm running late because of traffic, but you took too long to actually put on your pants. That is not yeah. necessarily a white lie that you would <laughs> <No>. want to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I, th- I think the white lies are, are you saying it because you're protecting yourself? Or are you saying it because you're protecting the other person? And a white lie in reality is only when I'm protecting the other person. Mm. If I'm protecting myself, it's not a white lie. Mm. <laughs> you're just lying about it, you know, like full I, multicolored I, lie. Exactly, totally, you know. <laughs> so again, it's the intention behind it. Why am I saying this? Is because I don't want to hurt the person. I want them to feel good. So I lie. It's okay. Are there two, three practices that you can often think of for likability? I think that's an interesting topic. Uh, likability, one of them is be genuine and show care, caring for the other person. And this is not the fake one that we hear a lot of managers. Hey, so how was your weekend? Mm, okay. Do you even know the guy's chi- child's name? All right. Do you know anything personal about it? Yeah. So show some interest. Of course, again, there will be a lot of people who will challenge this because they'll say, hey, I have a team of 300 people. There is no way I can do that. I understand. But if you are practicing it with your next level generals, what are your next level generals going to do? They're going to practice the same thing. And then they're going to practice the same thing. So it cascades downward. It's like a vision in a company. I can't tell my people to be to show integrity when I am the one who's doing the greatest lies. That's not going to cascade, right? So cascading is all about, I can't do it with 300 or 3,000 people, but I can do it with my next level and make sure they do it with the next level and so on and so forth. And it cascades downwards. Also adding to this, something that happened today, I was giving a workshop at St. Xavier's College, which is my old college, and they had invited me for a, a lecture there. And I was talking about productivity. And they had overbooked the classroom. So there were 100 seats and there were 125 kids that were booked for it. So the 25 kids that were waiting outside. So they were saying, no, no, I'm sorry, it's full, go. And I was like, no, no, why don't we get more chairs? Why don't we get in the front? Here, take my chair as well and put it in the front, right? Now, it is a small gesture, not necessarily manufactured, but 125 people acknowledged that, right? It is not that I needed to know each person's name or where they came from, but it is showing a level of kindness and care. Showing care for them. Yeah, exactly. Showing sensitivity, showing importance to them because they came in, even though they didn't come on time or they were not among the first hundred, they still made an effort. So recognize that effort. And I think that's, that makes a big difference. Unfortunately, people get too locked down, locked down with this protocols. Mm -hmm. Uh, No, no, we can only take hundred people. Oh, no, no, no. The registration period was over yesterday. So big deal. You know, let them in. Okay, you know what the funny thing is? If you tell those two people, I'm sorry, there's no more seats available. Would you mind standing? Not a problem. They will stand and they will enjoy the session as much as anyone else, even though they're standing. Absolutely. Right? But you showed them that you respect them and you're willing to be flexible. Right? As a leader, are you flexible? Right? Or do I just follow rules? If you just follow rules, then uh, believe me, your staff will also just follow rules. 
correct. Sorry, Absolutely. Saturday I finish at one o'clock. I'm not good. Yeah. Why should I work extra? No, no. My I have personal time. Saturday, Sunday is personal time. You want to follow rules? That's what's going to happen. I think segues love beautifully into a question that I've been meaning to ask you. What is the difference between a leader and a manager? Because oftentimes <laughs> this is mixed up, right? So yes. what is the difference between these two? In my opinion, nothing. All right. Because it's the characteristics, and I will, and I, and the reason I say that is because you will see managers showing you leadership characteristics, and you will see leaders showing you management characteristics. So things like following through with tasks—that's usually what a manager does. Okay, he he formulates and he fo- follows through with it. A leader can do the same thing, right? But the thing is, a manager can also come up with ideas, inspire his people, which is generally, if you look at definitions online, that's how they separate them. You know, the leader is more the visionary. Why? You don't have managers that are visionary? Of course there are. So it's a manager, I believe, is just a title. Leader and manager, you judge them by their characteristics. What are they revealing to you, right? And that is where you describe a leader and a manager. That's very interesting. So a manager is just a title, right? And a leader is the characteristics for that title. And you can be a manager or you cannot be a manager is perfectly fine. It does not need to have that title. Exactly. And that's why I use the example to start off about those children. Nobody made him in charge, but they're all following him around. Because he's showing those leadership capabilities. He's showing those characteristics. So people are happy to follow him. You will have managers like that. That's why in companies, sometimes one supervisor resigns and leaves. And all of a sudden, after that, you find five other people resigned. He's just a supervisor. He's not your department head or whatever. Why did they go? Well, if you delve deeper into it, that's the reason. One of the biggest findings they've done from many, many HR human resource studies is based on exit interviews. Mm -hmm. The biggest reason why people quit their jobs is not because of higher salary. It's because I don't like my boss. Absolutely. That's one of the biggest ones. Yeah, it's not the only one, obviously. As a leader or a manager, whatever title you want to give, are you fair? All right. Now, Ashton, I'm going to ask you this. You have a team of people, right? And you give a task to one of your team members and they do a beautiful job of it. In the time frame you asked for, in fact, they give it to you a little earlier. So you have time to kind of look through and make sure everything's okay. So they made you look good. All right. Next time, two months later, you have something equally tough, equally challenging. Who's the first person you go to? Absolutely, that guy. Yeah, but you're punishing him, right? Hmm. He went out Ah, of his way. So you're going to do it again. Yeah, exactly. He Hmm. went out of his way because you asked me, TK, I'll do it. Even if I spent my personal time, my weekend, whatever, I did it for you. Now again, you're you're punishing me. We do this subconsciously. I, no, no manager does it intentionally. But you know what's the funny excuse I get from managers? Because I use this example and I say, so why are you punishing him? He said, no, no, no. I want him to grow and develop. I said, okay, fair enough. That's a very good thought. Did you tell him that you're doing it to grow and develop him? Or did you just assign him a task? And No words for it. If you told me, I want you to take on this because it will help you to grow to the next level, I'm okay with it. You didn't. You just gave me a tough task. I completed it. Six, two months later, you're giving me another tough task. And I'm going like, Why are you punishing me? You know? 
And that's the problem. Very interesting. We don't realize that we're doing these things. No, we don't. A lot of it is a reaction. A lot of it is subconscious. And that's why being a leader, you know, nowadays they have this, well, it's not nowadays, it's been a few years where they've come up with this new expression called servant leadership. Hmm. I'm sure you've heard of it. Absolutely. Now, I am not totally in favor of that because I believe there needs to be some sort of a guideline. Right? It's it's like between me and my daughter. Am I her father? Yes, I am her father, which means authority-wise, do I have the right to tell her something? I do. At the same time, we are good friends, so we can talk openly. But there still needs to be that that, you know, kind of a barrier to say, yes, we are friends to a certain extent, but okay, he's still my father. Mm-hmm. Right? It's the same with managers and their subordinates. Yes, he is very friendly. We go out drinking together. We go have lunch together, etc. But friend, but that doesn't mean he's not your boss. He's still your boss. So you need to have that certain amount of respect. So when you say servant leadership, I don't know what their exact definition is. But to me, it I don't see it as being totally correct. Yes, you want to give respect and value to your team members. But if you're going to be saying, okay, we'll do whatever you want, it loses some of its charm. And I think that's where the credibility, the capability, the likability comes in. I share with you one more example of typical excuse that I hear from, again, managers, leaders, supervisors, whatever you want to call them. We have starting next month, we have to do this and this is going to be extra on our job. And everyone is in his team because they are friendly with him. They say, sir, what has already so much. And then, da, da, da. And then his answer is, what do boss do? I'm going like, you just lost your credibility totally. As a staff, I'm thinking, what kind of a boss I have here? He doesn't even have the guts to speak up for me. And he just, uh, he blames them and then makes me work. So I don't have any more respect for this guy. right? And as soon as I get an opportunity, I'm out of here. But you will find at least six out of 10 managers do that. Senior management wants it like that. And I'm going like... This especially happens during the sales teams, right? Like suddenly you have to... A new target has suddenly dropped on your head or the price has suddenly increased by 10 rupees and you're like, how am I going to sell this? The competition is much cheaper. Exactly. And all these kinds of things. Already we are having a difficulty. Now you're raising prices further. How are you going to You know, boss you try it. And I'm going like, what? You're supposed to guide me. You're supposed to encourage me. Not brush it off like that. You know, that doesn't help credibility at all. I love these stories because I can, possib- I can probably hear people's penny droppings remembering such events in their life as well. Like, oh, I remember a boss that told me this. I probably said this to somebody at some point of time. And we are all guilty of doing these things. I was saying, Raju, you know, something that I know people are going through is you were an executive, then you became a senior executive, and then you were called to the office and suddenly saying, congratulations, you are now a manager, right? Now, this change happens so suddenly. What are the habits that the person needs to change from being an executive to being a manager? Maybe you'll put the the leadership characteristics aside, but like what are the actual habits, the day-to-day life that would change for this person? Uh, first of all, he needs to put his pride aside. I think that's the first thing that comes into him. You will find a lot of times what happened is we three are, you know, close friends. We're same level. We're enjoying all the time. All of a sudden, ye boss ban gaya. Watch promote ho gaya. Then you see all the, you know, rob dikhane lagta hai. You know, he's like, oh, I'm this. I'm going like, you're not building a team. 
you know, you're, you're actually damaging it. So that's the first thing they need to realize is stop flying in the air. You're still our colleague. All right. Yes, you have added responsibility. So if I have open communication with my team and say, listen, guys, uh, because I've been uh, you know, promoted to this, this is what I'm doing. So I really need your support and your help on, on this particular process. They will support you because they're friends. So don't damage the friendship and then start using authority. Nay, nay. Okay, now listen, we're not same level anymore. I'm your boss now. Why do you do that? You're damaging your own, your own uh, movement forward, you know, your own productivity. doesn't help. So the first thing is rein in the ego. Rein in the ego. Mm-hmm. Secondly is, uh, well, it's not for the individual. It's more for the company. Why the hell do you promote someone be- before you make them ready? Right? Before you're promoting someone, we, we do a lot of corporate training for companies who actually define what we call high potential managers or high potential leaders. Right. And they say, okay, Raju, we want to train these people because they are going to be promoted at some stage. We're not saying it's guaranteed right now, but, you know, at some stage, these are the most likely people. So we want to develop certain competencies. The competencies would be things like motivating my team, would be leading the team, you know, would be communicating more effectively, would be able to share the vision, cascade certain things, you know, all those competencies they will list out. And once they list them out, then you got to train them so that they are able and capable to take on that project. Rather than, I'm going to throw you in the middle of the ocean. It works for swimming, where they, you know, a lot of Europeans, they throw their children into the water and they will, it doesn't. I have seen top-notch salespeople get promoted to sales manager and quit within three months because they drowned like crazy. Couldn't hack it. You leave them out to do their sales, they were fantastic. They were superstars. Now they have to manage people. Doesn't work. It's a different set of skills. It's not just about you selling, selling, selling. It's totally different. Okay, so that was Raj Sajnani and we were talking about leadership. And we're going to deep dive into the understanding of leadership and the different kinds of leadership that exist in the second episode. So make sure you go and check that out next. Now, if you like this podcast, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IBM network. You can listen to us on the IBM podcast app or ibmpodcast.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are at IBM Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to reach out to me, I am at Ashton Doc on Twitter and Instagram. We have a brand new habit coaching online course, quizzes, videos, and a lot more on the website awesome180.com. So check it out now.